In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 30th episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me or what the show's about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or the voiceamerica.com business channel, and be sure to download the app. And again, you could always just check it out on the favorite way you like to listen to your podcasts. Now, if you missed last week's show from March 19th, I chatted with my amazing social media woman, T, and we discussed communication questions and scenarios from real-life client challenges. Be sure to check that out. Now, today, my guest is Matthias Anderegg. Welcome, Matthias. Hello, Amy. The 30th show, do I... Do we get a cake or a celebration for that? Oh, that's a great idea. I'll, I'll look right into that and send one over. <laughs> Virtually. So, uh, Matthias, you and I first met, it was, I'm going to say, five years ago in Keebler College in Oxford, England at a conference. And the reason I remember this so well was because that supposedly was the hallway where they filmed some of Harry Potter. And they even had like some statues there. Do you remember those? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, like old British. Just think of, of um, Harry Potter and then you're there, right? Yeah, a very, very classic environment. And the conference we were at is the AIN conference, which stands for the, for the listeners, is the Applied Improv Conference. Now, listeners, this is just, you know, the most fun for me professionally to hang out with 200 improvisers and it's a the people are coming from all different sectors and because and the one thing we have in common other than being just lovely fun easygoing human beings I think that's pretty um, safe generalization is that we use improv techniques in our work whether it's to teach collaborative skills or risk-taking and like, you know, so like Matthias and I use it a lot for helping people develop their leadership and becoming more collaborative, kinder human beings. So Matthias, what are some other examples of the work that people use um, with improv? Yeah. So what I find you listeners, you might think, oh, this improv applied improv conference, it's like this niche conference, right? So they must be all doing the same thing. Um, but once you dive in, you realize, oh, no, that's actually kind of a diverse group of people. So one of the most, the, the examples that always sticks with me is there are a, a group of people that do improv with inmates to prepare them when they get out to cope with, with everyday life. Or people who teach language skills through improvisation rather than you know, going to the textbooks and, and, and learning things by heart. And then there's the the the, the folks like us, Amy, that, you know, apply improvisation skills in a professional setting to help people communicate better, listen better, and and, and create trust and foster um, 
good working relationships. Yeah, yeah. So, Matthias, I want to take a minute to give the listeners some background on you so they know who they're listening to. Matthias is a trainer and a managing partner of his own training company and an expert of experiential learning. His field of expertise is in leadership presence, as I mentioned a moment ago, and personal storytelling in organizations. Also, win-win negotiations. In short, his focus is around wholehearted interactions between human beings. And Matthias holds a Master's of Science in Computer Science and a Certificate of Advanced Studies in Mediation and Conflict Resolution. I'd be very curious, Matthias, if you maybe talk later about how you use improv in that area of conflict resolution and mediation. He spent over a decade on stage as an improvisational actor, and he co-founded the one of the most successful or the most successful improvisation company in Switzerland. Well, what's the name of that, that company? It's called Anunziersich, which is a very German name. Very. I couldn't repeat it if I tried. Is there, what would be the translation in English? Well, um, it's probably per se. Well, it's a, a, a play words. It's probably per se. You know, and then if you if you mess it up, it's got Pfizer in it, which is peach. Um, it's it's hard to explain. <laughs> and I, I we tried a few times to say, hey, if you know, becoming more and more uh, internationally, we should really change the name. <laughs> but once you have a name for 10, 15 years, it's kind of hard to change that one. Right. And at least among German speakers, it's a, probably a, an appreciated name, I'm guessing. Yeah. Now, at the core, go ahead, yeah. It's kind of unique in the German-speaking world. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. When you say it's unique, what's unique? What are you referring to? Our name. So, if you Google us, it's you bound to find us. I mean, Mm. yeah. yeah. Got it. And one of your core's, you know, core passions is being an improviser and that the ability to thrive in moments of great uncertainty. Once Matthias released himself from all expectations, he experiences a deep sense of fulfillment by looking at the world with beginner's eyes. And I think as I was saying that, Matthias, the question I have for you is how the question is either, you know, how do you manage to release yourself from all expectations and or how can other people do the same? Do you have sort of a, a thought on that? Well, it's hard. <laughs> so right. in, in, it's, it's easy if I step on an improvisation stage and there's an audience and I know we're going to perform. I'm in that space. Where it is harder is if I drive my kids to, to kindergarten and they find some game they want to play instead of going to kindergarten. And, and one of the things I do normally as a parent, you know, I apply pressure and it doesn't work. And then there's this, there's this, shift of mindset this click and think hey this is a game why mm. why i pay attention what's there and and play along and then all of a sudden most of the time we actually achieve our goals a lot better with with less stress but it needs that that little moment of taking a breath and you know stepping back and i think it's it's similar with with the predator prey and partner concept it's that moment of of holding still and taking a breath and when you were talking a second ago, what came to me was um, sort of the mindset of partner, which I try to embody in myself and, and teach others is 
first being aware I'm attached to something, that I have an expectation. And the irony is just by consciously realizing, oh, I'm attached to this, makes me a little less attached. It loosens things up a tiny bit. Like, oh, that's where some of the challenge is. I really wanting this one thing. And then the second thing I heard you say was, um, which I love to do, which is turning it into the game, a game. You know, what's the opportunity here? And yes, it may be true that there are certain situations and expectations and you, you, know, you got to hit your mark, though more often than not, if we just don't realize, ooh, I'm attached to what I want and, you know, what's the game here? Often, like you said, you end up getting, you know, achieving your outcome. Yes, and, and sometimes you're not even attached to the outcome, but you're attached to the way you reach the outcome. And I think that's ah. where it gets difficult. Okay. For instance, you want to get the kids dressed and you want to start with one kid and then finish that person, that, that kid, and then you want to, you know, dress the other kid. Yeah. Um, but the outcome is to get them ready to leave house. Right. Right. And, and sometimes I start with the pants with one and then he, he doesn't want to go, you know, continue. So I switch to the other one. So I change the order in how I get them dressed. Mm. Um, but if I'm getting stuck on the habit of, of the procedure, then it gets kind of narrow and, and nasty. That's nice. So um, being hyper flexible <laughs> at, in certain times pays off. Yeah, and, and not being flexible. Sorry to interrupt you. Not being flexible on the, out, on, on the goal. But on the on the, Correct. On the path to get there, exactly. Because you're so right. It is unless you're 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 going to cross some ethical um, dilemma. You know, often there's a lot of, as they say, many paths to the same outcome, or something like that. I might have made just made that up. It's so true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and- one other thing I want to say to listeners about you is that. Um, how gifted you are with such a deep understanding of others and this instinctual sense of interactions and relationships. Um, that is something that I've always appreciated in our friendship and how we can take such a deep dive after months of not being in contact and, the, and get you know, into a juicy conversation about things. Yes. Do you want me? <laughs> Was that a question? No. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah. So relationships, I think, when you're on stage improvising, the only thing you've got is yourself and the relationship with your colleagues on stage. So that that trust is something, you know, we build, we practice improvisation, um, but we don't practice scenes, but we practice, you know, how we trust each other and, and we help each other out. And I think that's, if you have that also in a working environment, that a level of trust, then, and you got to build the trust when, not when the shit hits the fan, but before. Right. Um, then when things get messy, you're ready. So when you're talking, something just came to my mind, and I don't know if, I don't think I've shared this with you. So one of the challenges I have when I'm performing on stage, doing improv with my colleagues, is I don't look at my colleagues enough, my, my co-actors. And there's so much rich information there that I could get from them. And I'm a little bit too busy in my head. So one of the cool things about doing improv on Zoom meetings is, you know, you've got your face on with each other. Mm -hmm. And that's quite different than the face-to-face in-person improv. And I guess so I'm saying this out loud. I'm realizing I really want to take that back when I start doing 
not when I fart, you know, that, that's, <laughs> that's going to happen anytime. That was a little slip of the tongue. When I start doing face-to-face improv again is to, you know, make an effort to look at makeup, eye contact more. And I, I, I don't know, what, is there a, a connection there in, between that and real life relationships, I wonder? Well, I see the connection, what stress does to you. So if you're stressed, you, your um, field of vision narrows and, and you're not seeing the help. You're not using all the resources that are available to you at that particular time, point in time. And I think that's where improv helps. And, and one of the ideas of improv is use what is there. So have a look around, use your cards. And most of the time, there are things around that help you get out of the situation. Mm. Um, if you stress is actually one of the biggest enemies of improvisation. So how can you get out of the stress uh, of doing it all by yourself and accept help and look around? Yeah. And that trusting that the other person's there to make you look good. I think we forget that a lot. Mm-hmm. And when I can hold on to that, I tend to relax a little bit. And the stress often decreases. Yeah, and, and interesting enough, the, the, it has to do with control also. So if I control my environment, it works well. Then if the stress level rises and I still try to control, and there's this moment when the complexity surpasses my brain's capacity to control, and then I can kind of can let go. And that's what I said, you know, what you said before about when do you, when do you start improvising and sometimes when the, the complexity is just too much. Then there's huh? there is there's this blink of an eye, and all of a sudden I'm I'm free, and then the flow starts again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that ironic that the level of complexity can actually be an invitation to improvise? Yeah, and then I I'm, I'm in that zone where I feel like you know I can't handle it, so I gotta trust my gut, and then mm-hmm. it all somehow seems to come together. Mm-hmm. Most you of the time, you know I. I, what I talked about, described to you a moment ago, I'm curious to know, and you've already started to move into this area, though, what is an example of your ability to sense interactions and relationships? So one of the, the my highlights from 2020 was I organized an improv space camp. So we're 12 improv, so 12 participants, and I was leading that camp, and it was four days long. We had overnight stays and a space theater space and I thought I don't want to script the program for the participants to improvise so I improvised along the way as a as leading as a facilitator so I would sense you know what the group needed and kind of make things up as we go and and just pull out from my last um, toolbox of of exercises so um, you question about sensing the relationships and the energy in the room, what would the group need now? Would they need something more energizing or, or some, a deep exercise? And, and, and um, it turned out to be fantastic for days. Um, so what's was, an example of where you sense something and you made a conscious decision? For instance, where we did exercises that were kind of intimate or, or personal and, and shared some personal insights about your life and improvisation and and, and that there was this kind of heavy atmosphere and good but you know 
And then I ha had this sense of we need to do something really funny afterwards. And it felt like consciously you can't do that. People are in this space where they, where they, you know, they're, they're doing some deep transformation. And when I did it anyway, it was such a relief. And it wasn't funny destroying what was before, right. but somehow adding a new flavor of life. And, and that was very rewarding for, for, um, for me and for the participants. What did you do that was so funny? I think I, uh, we played a game, Whiskey uh, Mixer, where you... Um, a whiskey mixer. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So how do you play this game? Well, um, so you, um, it's called whiskey mixer, and you got to pass the word around, and there's, there's two, or three, two or three different words, Messwechsel, whiskey mixer, and Max. I can't even say that. Maske, that's uh, in German. So the so, idea is... M Mr. Whisker, Mr. Whiskers, I think in English no. you say. Okay. Whiskey mixer, and and then there was a third wax one. mask. Wax. Okay. So the idea is that you you pass it along, and you want if you want to switch side, you you have to take you know say the other word, and it's not about making mistakes. Mistakes are okay, but as soon as you start laughing, yes, you gotta you know run around the circle. So the idea is not to laugh, and you know how that. Right. No, I can't. I'm just the remembering playing the game is making me laugh. There's so much joy and silliness in it. Yeah. Oh. So it's hilarious. And it's just such a stress reliever to, to laugh. But, you know, there's really deep belly laughing where, where the belly right. hurts after that. Right. I, um, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. I had my family play improv games a couple of years ago and we played, um, I don't know if you know this one, The Farm, where everybody gets a different animal sound. Oh. And you do it with a big group so that, you know, maybe you only have six different, seven different animals and you repeat them. So maybe if you have a group of 30 people and there's three cows and three um, horses and three frogs. And then I say, okay, you're going to make your sound and you're going to find your other compatriots, your other, you know, an like animals. And they're like, oh, okay, fine. That's fine. Oh, oh by the way, you have to do it with your eyes closed. <laughs> and that changes everything. And now it's even more fun doing it in an international setting because apparently a German frog and an American frog make very different sounds. So they never find each other. Though I have, when I did it with my family, um, it was funny to watch. We also filmed it. Watching film, watching the video back was just side splitting hilarious watching my brother trying to make a horse sound when he's laughing so hard and he can't get it out of his mouth and he's holding on to my cousin and my mother and my mother is like ready to pee and we're just <laughs> it was um one of my joyous moments yes bringing improv to my family always is it's interesting and, and the fun so improv the fun we have in improv is not just for the fun's sake so there's always um i think if you have it nicely embedded in, in some, and there's a lot of learning. So I think the fun makes learning is hard in general, you know, trying new stuff out is so hard and you don't want to be exposed to, you know, making mistakes because, you know, we are all adults. We've, we know our stuff. And um, so having that energy of laughing in between just makes, makes that, that hard learning part a lot more joyful. Yeah. The or embarrassment like, or the discomfort. Yeah. 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 So I think improv is not about, you know, getting people to laugh, but uh, um, no, it's a side, a side effect. And that 
those kind of exercises, even though we will debrief them and discuss them um, and make the business connection, like one time I did that same exercise with a group of people in Geneva. I've never made this confession, by the way, I don't know if I ever told you. And I was supposed to have like 40 people in the group, except that there was some bad weather. So maybe like only 20 people showed up. And so when I handed out all the animals, I had um, a group of bees, except because I only had 20 people, I ended up only handing out one bee. And Amy didn't, yes, you can see the where this is going. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize this at the time. And I had a woman come from um, an NGO to come and watch me <laughs> run this exercise on her vacation. And she is in the corner going with her eyes closed. So I'm realizing watching her going, oh my God, there's no more bees. And I'm thinking I have completely screwed up this exercise. She's going to think I'm an idiot. So we do the debrief and I'm just kind of breathing, trying to keep myself together. And uh, she said, she raises her hand. She says, you know, I, I, you know, what was it like for everyone? She said, well, I was, I was just, I was all alone in a corner. <laughs> and I took a deep breath and I said, and how is that similar to the work environment? And everyone goes, oh, yes. <laughs> that is a big save. Spring sports, they call it. Yeah. I used to be a goalkeeper in indoor hockey. And you've got these big saves, you know, when, <laughs> when the goal is basically made and you kind of leap and kind of prevent the, goal, the ball from hitting the net. Big yeah, save, that was Amy. a big save. Thank you. <laughs> so, Matthias... Um, we've been talking about improv and, and some ta- applications to the business world. What else would you add to the definition of improv for listeners? What else would you like them to know about it? Um, who I think improv sets you free. And I, I want to preach it. I want to free the people. And how often you can choose every moment anew. Yeah. You're not aware of that in your everyday life. I feel like I, I'm so much bound by the past. You know, I, I, I'm so, and then I was thinking about how, how improvising decreases in your lifetime. So when, you know, I have kids, uh, Lenny and, and Marvin, the two and a half and five years old, mm-hmm. they improvise a lot. But then the older you get, you don't improvise so much more, so much anymore. And I'm thinking, and it's obvious if you're on an improv stage, but how about, you know, adding some wiggle room? Where is, is playfulness and improvisation still uh, available to you in your everyday life? Um, and we talked about the, the, the ice cream parlor, Amy. And I'm thinking, if I go to the ice cream parlor, I, I want pistachio. It's just the best. And I don't need to try <laughs> the other 15 flavors. I know. But then I... Imagine some peop- some person would invent a new flavor that is even better than pistachio. And I would miss out on that for ages. It could happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So I don't know. Did we, did we talk about that? Was that before the, we started recording? Cause, um, I think so. Yeah. Then, then um, I'm going to make this invitation official. When you come to me, visit me in Lausanne next time, I'm going to take you to a place called Manu that has um, – I think it's basil cream cheese ice cream, something insane like that. And it's just out of this world delicious. 
So you might have to skip the pistachio that time. Yeah, yeah. And the best you can, the, the one thing you get out of is a new experience anyway. Right. So, uh, and then judging the experience is always a bit harsh, you know, good and bad. And I think if you're in the improvising world, you start to suspend a bit of that good and bad part. Because how many times something like your exercise, it started off, you know, being a failure and bad and the little bee in the corner. And you just suspended the judgment until you completed the full cycle, uh, meaning, you know, finish the exercise and the debrief. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And um, yes, that's when the, the asking that open-ended question is so often, because when I said that, you know, how is this like, you know, the business world, I don't know what possessed me to say that. And I really thought, you know, people were going to start, you know, just walking out of the room like that's a silly question. And voila, lo and behold, you know, the, the connections are made. Yeah. I think improv is also about making experiences because we don't have a lot of new experiences anymore, so much, you know. And, and just giving a new ex- – it doesn't need to be the – best or nicest experience, but it's very insightful the more experiences you have. I mean, it just teaches you something. If yeah. You try something new. Yeah. And for me, it's the, uh, it brings me so much joy because I feel like this is going to sound a little bit arrogant. It's a little bit hard to surprise me because I guess I'm just so clever. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so when I get surprised, it's like bonus joy because mm-hmm. – it's it's spontaneous and it's unexpected and and that's one of the things that I would say um, that is co- a constant benefit or, or payoff to improv is that um, being surprised and the spontaneity. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about the shoot surprise after the break. Okay, good. So when we come back, let's do that. And um, listeners, if you want to find out more about Matthias, you want to connect with him, you can do that directly via email. And his email is Matthias at mandereg.ch. Okay, I'm going to spell it. I promise. All right. So and Matthias is not spelled the American way. So we got M-A-T-T-H-A-I-S at M-A-N-D-E-R-E-G-G dot C-H. When we come back from the break, we'll be hearing more about improv, about Matthias's experiences. Stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make your partner look good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change, 
to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Before the break, uh, Matthias and I were talking about the how improv is impact our lives, how we've been using it professionally. Now, Matthias, I remember before we started the recording today, you had told me you have a surprise story that you promised you would share today. Yes. Thank you. I'm all ears. What triggered the story was your comment that you are not easily surprised. The same thing for me. It's yeah. So I'm expecting surprises. So, so I'm driving in 2017. I'm, I'm teaching in, in close to St. Moritz in the Alps. And a colleague of mine who lives there, uh, you know, offers to drive me home because he says, you know, I got to drive to Zurich. You know, why, why don't you? So, okay. So me and the dress, we were driving to Zurich and having a chat. And then he misses my, my exit. And I say, you got to, hmm? and he says, yeah, okay. And kind of fiddles around with the, with his, you know, navigation system, and he misses the next exit. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is something is odd. So he drives to the airport. He opens the trunk. In the trunk is my own bag packed by my wife. Oh, no. He hands me my passport and a plane ticket to Belgrade and says, <laughs> have a nice evening, and drives <laughs> off. <laughs> so I'm... Um, checking in and it's a valid ticket so i sit down and have a beer that's the first thing i do i sit down and have a beer and i'm i google where is belgrade what countries what currency do they have you know i have no idea so then we proceed to the gate and i'm thinking you know this is a fake some you know my friends will jump out and so i hand you know at the gate i hand my ticket and she passes you know you know, pass through and i'm thinking, oh, i'm on the plane i don't know anybody so i'm <laughs> I'm thinking. So part of the thing, so again, when I said complexity and stress, once I was in the plane, I started relaxing and, and then it became fun. I thought, okay, they know an improviser. Either they're at the airport or they're giving me the biggest gift they can give me and just leave me alone in Belgrade and, you know, trust me that I figure out. And, but then they picked me up and we had a weekend with at my bachelor's weekend in Belgrade. Oh with, um, my gosh. six of my best friends. <laughs> wow. Th- that is, first of all, that's a lot of trust on your side. You know, they must have known you really well. And one thing that for listeners to know that one of the tenets of improvisation is accepting the offer, saying yes. 
And what a literal way for you, you know, you said yes to walking in the airport, getting on the airplane, and then, and also had the attitude of the, like, okay, uh, whatever's going to happen, I'm going to enjoy myself kind of thing. Yeah. Even though you didn't know what that would be. And I think that's the crucial part if you, that you can enjoy it while it lasts, that, that you're not, that I wasn't stressed out and, and couldn't enjoy the moment. I'm thinking, oh my God, this is just blank. You know, you can't plan this. And, and, and how do you, I didn't even have any, you know, currency, you know. Right. And I love that. Um, Where is Belgrade? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for all the Serbian people. I had no idea. Yeah, you know now. Um, I know now. Yeah. So that was my, um, my surprise story. Excellent. So um, something we talked about at the very beginning of this discussion was how you use, you've got um, experience in mediation and conflict resolution. And I had that, asked that question of how do you use the tools of improv when you're teaching people around mediation and conflict resolution? So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm following the, what is, is known as the Harvard concept, the getting to yes. So it's a, a book that has been um, written about 30, 40 years ago by some Fisher. Harvard professors, Fisher and Yuri yep. Fisher and, uh, and Patton, uh, Bruce Patton. So that's um, exactly uh, it's in German. It's called the Harvard concept. And in English, it's getting to yes. Uh-huh. And, um, and I've, um, so it's, it's an, a win-win approach. And in the latest, uh, German edition, I have even a, added a chapter with a, a business case about um, a conflict resolution I've mediated myself or, or I was in. So when you think about negotiation, you always think about, you know, fighting. And, and that's not very helpful, using the fighting metaphor for a, a – it's just we want different things, but also there's a lot of things we want we have in common. And if you start playing there – I know what I want. The way I'm going to get it might be different what I had in mind. And, and that's what we talked before about, you know, dressing my kids. If we mm-hmm. start, if we can have a minimum of trust where we can play with each other and toss a few ideas around, then we will have great solutions. And the trick is how do you get from, from partners who, who hate each other or dislike each other, probably just mistrust each other, into that space for them to brainstorm common solutions. And mistrust is already pretty significant. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do you use improv to do that? Well, it's about listening. It's about really being in a moment and not when you're entering a conflict, it's all about you. You, you care about what you have to say and you want to have as much airtime to make, to make sure that the other person gets and convince the other person. Yeah. Um, so if you can get out of that me, me, me space and, and kind of, because the other person doesn't care about you, they care about themselves. So if you want to make progress, it's about letting your partner shine and listening mm-hmm. to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Although it might be ridiculous, but at least give them the respect of, of listening. And I think then you can start slowly building trust when they, they feel you at least hurt them. Yeah. And, 
when I hear you say that, one of the things I think about is how magical it is when we listen and we show we've listened by saying, okay, um, so Matthias, what I hear you saying is that it's really important to um, build up that trust by listening more Then that person. It's like um, it's a sign of respect. And it's hard to maintain a sense of mistrust for someone when you feel like they respect you. So I feel like it feels like that's a, a way of like breaking down that mistrust. And it's, you know, hearing what they're saying doesn't mean agreeing. Correct. So at least at least acknowledge that you've heard their position. And then and then it's if it works well, you get into a very playful mode where you try to help each other out. If, it, if I find a solution that fulfills your needs also it's more likely that you, you'll agree to the solution. Right. Law of reciprocity. Most, mm-hmm. Yeah, most of the time I will propose something that satisfies my needs, but not yours, right? Right, right. Yeah, so if I can find a way to be um, less self-serving and more focused on you in a genuine way, um, there's a possibility, no guarantee, that you're going to be motivated to want to do the same. And the thing is, as human beings, the way we're hardwired, tell me if you, you understand it this way, we, we actually do want to help each other because it selfishly mm-hmm. will make me feel better about myself if I can help you. And then because of reciprocity, we want to help each other out. It often goes back and forth. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I'm giving away stuff or right. I'm, being, I'm not being nice to you. It's not like I'm, I'm giving away up my goals so we can reach your goal. So my sure. own goal still stays valid. It might be another way to get to that goal um, than I had thought before. Yeah, yeah. And so, and that goes back to the thing around your kids not wanting to go to preschool. You're, you're saying, oh, okay, um, you know, what's another way we can get to the same solution? Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, I interviewed a guy who's a professor of negotiation. Um, so for listeners, you might want to check out episode, I think it was from February 26th. I interviewed, um, Giuseppe Conte about negotiating. And one of the things that's really cool, I, a couple of years ago, I read the book getting to yes by Fisher and Uri, and I was shocked how much of the partner mindset mm-hmm. and behaviors track with what they're saying, I was amazed, you know, the listening and the pausing and giving space and letting yourself be interrupted and all that stuff. Yeah. And if you don't play along, it's also interesting. I, um, about last year, I was bouncing on, on one of those huge trampolines with my smaller son. He was about one and a half Marin at that time. And we went to the, we were in this place called, uh, skills park and they had this huge trampoline area and he was just being a little kid and jumping and having fun and then all of a sudden about a six or eight year old boy comes up to him and crosses his arms and kind of blocks his way he wanted to go you know so he couldn't pass and looked really mean at my little one and I'm thinking oh my god what do I do as a parent and I thought oh, well I'll just relax and look so my 
Marvin, he didn't pick up the cue of, of aggression. Mm. He thought this other boy wants to play with him. And he <laughs> smiled at him and he started playing with him. And this whole aggression was just melted away. And I was so amazed how if you don't play along with that in that game, you, you take so much wind out of the sails. Yes, and that speaks so much to the, the, the uh, one of the partner mindset techniques that I love, which is pretend not to notice when the other person is being a jerk. Yeah. And you treat them as if they're being a reasonable, respectful yeah. human being. And it's very hard for them to maintain it because you're not feeding into them what they expect to get back from you. And they're like, okay, you know, so what your son did was he held a stronger frame innocently and that six-year-old just decided, okay, this will be easier if I just enter his frame. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even have to pretend. He just didn't didn't understand the aggression game. Right. So So we all just pretend to be one and a half year olds. I don't notice. Let's have fun. Mm -hmm. Very cool. You know, uh, Matthias, like me, I see improv has infiltrated many parts of my life. Um, And I'm curious to know how it's expanded beyond the performance stage for you. You shared a couple examples. What are some other ones? Um, I think the trust in coincidences. Um, So trust your gut or trust that things will come when you need it. So how many times I'm worried that, I might not have enough sometime in the future, X, Y, Z. So trusting that you only need it when you need it. So I don't need to have it right now. Mm. Um, so, so that trust that, and also that you can't plan your life at 15 steps ahead. So one of the expressions I like a lot in improvisation is, you know, take a first step yeah, and then take a first step. And yeah. take the first step. It's always the first step because you don't say you don't plan the second step while you haven't moved yet. So you take the first step, and then you you have a different perspective, and then you take another first step. Yeah. Um, and some people are worried if they don't have the next five steps planned ahead. Right. And one of the things uh, where I see that really unfolding is at the moment I'm in a breakup with my wife, so it's it's a, a personal crisis. Um, especially with you know kids involved, and yeah. we don't have a clue. You're kind of hopeless and and or and clueless where to go next. So one of the things. So we not decided, hopeless though, clueless. No, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> uh, clueless. Yeah, clarify. What, we're not. Yeah, clear. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we decided we'll have two separate apartments at the moment. We that's not the end solution, but we realized at some point we need to change something. So what's the first step that f- felt, you know, true for, or, or genuine for both of us is separating our living space. And that just happened um, like three weeks ago and we're still improvising. And there might, and there surely there will be another step arising out of that one, which we couldn't foresee if we hadn't moved. And I think a lot of things, the improv tenets or the improv mindset in my life is is do things and then reconsider and then plan the next step rather than playing it through in your head. I think that that doesn't work very well in the long term. Or, you know, it's okay to maybe play through in the head and, and, and come up with possible options. What I hear that you're saying is uh, you don't want to insist that you must have all the steps lined up 
Because like you said, it's, you know, I, I wish I could think of the game that when you do one move, other things change or maybe, I don't know, is that chess? <laughs> You know, you, you or maybe no. Know, just you only move a piece at a time, and the and one move impacts the other. So yeah. you, what I'm hearing, and I think this is particularly hard for a lot of people I work with who um, may be overachievers or might be may even be perfectionists. And that tends to be, I, I don't know if that's true for you. I see it a lot, a lot more in women, even more than men. And I think there's a, a history for women that it's not per individual woman. I think there's a way that women have lived in society that we've, in a way, it's a strategy a lot of women choose in order to avoid criticism, in order to stay safe, literally stay safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I work with a lot of women to help them break out of that pattern of perfectionism. And you've described it so beautifully of it's taking the next step and trusting the process. Well, trust, trust yourself that you will find the next step once you've taken it. And I think the, the I don't think that, you know, playing through in your head is, is, is bad, necessarily bad is, when it results in a deadlock that you you're unable to do anything because you don't know what the ne- the fifth and sixth step will be. Yeah. So Matthias, I'm going to put you in the hot seat for a second. May I? Ooh, whatever the hot seat is. Yes. Oh, okay, good. So we're going to do instant expert. This is a game, you know, except you have no idea what I'm going to ask you. All right. So listeners may not believe this though. I'm going to come up with a question in my head. And Matthias knows everything about everything and everything he says is correct because he is instant expert. And so this is a great example of an exercise where um, once I ask Matthias the question, he's going to reflect on a second and all he's going to have is perhaps the first part of the answer. And and so what you'll be hearing and or maybe thinking about what he's going to be doing is he's going to be creating it right in the moment. So he's not going to have the whole answer figured out before um, he starts speaking. Okay, so uh, Instant Expert, welcome. Great to have you back. Hi, Amy. You know, Instant Expert, I know that um, this whole corona thing has been challenging. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. And you have become um, quite um, well-known for the fact that um, cows are particularly good at social distancing and, and that they are able to um, provide, or how do I want to say this? They provide a good pattern that um, could be a, a good role model of how we could use social distancing in our everyday life. Thank you. Thank you. And so I was wondering if you would expand on that. Why is that cows are so good at this? Well, it, cows are very particular because mm-hmm. they eat a lot of grass and they have this whole mm-hmm. digestive, digestive system that is very complex. Yes. Um, which results in a lot of time in their day is focused on eating and digesting. Mm-hmm. So they just don't have the time to have so much social interaction. Ah. So what I was thinking, if we had something that distracted us, from mm-hmm. the social interactions. Yes. You know, if you were busy 
20 hours out of 24 with eating and digesting, we could meet friends. Yeah, good point. So the question is, what could be that activity for us? Mm, mm. And that's what your book is all about, the activities that we can take on as human beings in order to uh, live a little bit more like cows and yeah. be good at social distancing. Yeah, so I'm not saying it's it's eating and digesting for us. I Correct. Think on an individual basis, you've got to find something that feels that you can do alone. Yeah. Very important. And that fills the majority of your time. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. instance, building Lego castles or, Lego or knitting. Castles. Mm-hmm. Lego castles. Lego castles. Mm-hmm. And Excellent. I think that's where the cows are just a fantastic example mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of how social distancing could work for us mm-hmm. in times mm-hmm. of crisis. Excellent. Well, instant expert, uh, thank you for your time. This has been very helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Oh, Matthias, thank you for that. So um, let's break it down for a second. Mm -hmm. How did you, um, did you notice the thinking process in your head? I noticed that when you said cows, the whole digestion just popped up. Yeah. And 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 as an, you know, I gave you cows because I thought, you know, you're, you're Swiss. That was, that was, you know, since I put you in the hot seat, I thought I'd at least give you something that might make, you know, connection for you. I didn't know that whole thing about the digestion. That's something you knew. So you took what you I knew. Uh, yeah. So I took what I knew. So I, I had this first sentence, this first thought, and that already put me at ease. And then you expand on, on that. And I think, I I'm, I didn't panic. I knew yes. that it was far out. I didn't have to answer the question right away. So right. I, I could take a bit of time to, to develop my answer. Yeah. And so I trusted that once the digestion stuff was out there, I'd have a new idea once it was out there. And so you go from idea to idea and then, more kind of looking back on what was the red thread that I've already said right. and then somehow wrapping it up. Yeah. And you made me look good. So this is one of, for listeners, this is a basic tenant of improv is make your partner look good. So I was, as we could tell, creating the question in the moment, because I didn't know I was going to do this to you. <laughs> and all I had was COVID in my head and, and this cow came up. And then you even helped me to formulate the question. So you got me out of the hot seat by saying, oh, yes, acting as if. Um, So when we come to the end, we're we're getting close to the end of our discussion. Um, And I want to talk about a couple more things before we do that. So I'm going to give an offer to listeners when we get there. So, Matthias, um, I'm curious to know, what was one of your worst improv moments that you would be willing to share? Oh, my God. It's um, I'm on stage with Gunther Lösel. Gunther Lösel is a well-known German improviser, and he's, he's a scientist, and he's written a few books about improvisation. Okay. It's 2012. It's in Bochum, and I signed up for this master class. Uh, Sean Kindley and Dennis Cahill from the Louis Moose Theater are teaching it. So okay. Louis Moose is like the the mecca for improvisation. Um, in so they Calgary, to, Canada. In Ca- Canada. So they come to Europe for a summer school, and they it's by invitation only. So the best improvisers from Europe get together for a whole week. <laughs> so I'm on that, on that show. And I remember 
we had a 10 minute scene and I, we started playing basketball together. And I felt that was a negative example of, I felt the pressure of everybody's watching the, the creme de la creme of the improv, European improv scene is here. This has to be good. So we try to make it good. And mm -hmm. by trying to make it good, I try to be funny and, yeah. and hilarious. And, and it just inflated. The whole scene collapsed after a few minutes. And um, I was so, it felt so awful afterwards, you know, and um, which is great to know that you, it doesn't always work. You no. Just, you, you can never... You can never own improvisation or no improvisation. You're always a learner. And the irony is when we try to be funny, that's often when there's a car crash. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that takes, I think that's really powerful for people. It takes pressure off them to go, oh, so by not, by attempting to not be funny, I may actually find spontaneity and joy and mm -hmm. possibly humor. So, Matthias, we are just at the end, and I want to ask you for a call for action or an inspiration that you would like to share with listeners. Thank you. So, yeah, I, I thought about, I had a bit of preparation for this, and um, I would like to share a quote from my all-time favorite author, Haruki Murakami. And I'm actually rereading at the moment his book, Kafka on the Shore, and this, this um, quote is from him, and it says, Whatever it is you're seeking won't come in the form you are expecting. And I really love that. It's just the essence of a bit of improv. Say it again. Whatever you are seeking. Whatever it is you're seeking won't come in the form you're expecting. Got it. Okay. And I'm feeling like sometimes people have a birthday party, you know, and they open the door and the first guest comes and say, oh, no, I didn't expect, please, you know, you can't come in. And they <laughs> kind of refuse the people. And, you know, you're, you're having this party. Life is a party and, and you're looking for something. Don't just judge who, mm. who's turning up or by the exterior. Just have, having a, yeah, kind of um, be amazed of in what form yeah. things will turn up in your nice. mind. Nice. Thank you for that, Matthias. I guess uh, my call for action for listeners goes back to the exercise we did a few minutes ago, the instant expert. If you want to have um, a list of questions that are already not like the one I just like whipped up in the moment there, though I have 26 very uh, entertaining instant expert questions, email me and I will send you that list and you can uh, torture friends and family from, you know, face-to-face -face and on Zoom using these questions and play with your instant expert skills. Also, send me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, blunders, and successes via email or social media. I will read them and discuss them on future shows and perhaps make suggestions. My email is amy at carolcoaching.com. That's two R's and two L's. And if you want to connect with Matthias, you can reach out to him on his email, M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S at M-A-N-D-E-R-E-G-G dot C-H. Now, next week, I'm going to be speaking with Akeem Novak. He is a former mediator, executive coach, working with successful leaders to help them to be e become even more successful. 
And if you're ready to take your superhero partner powers to the next decade, join me for my online leadership presence course. You can check out more information about that on carolcoaching.com or on any of my social media channels, Amy at Carol Coaching. Thank you, Matthias. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Amy. And thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good. (laughs) 